welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Jewel. Hi. Hi. Was it yesterday fun? Yeah, yesterday we both was the best. skived off work and had Best Friends Day. We went to Best Friends Day, which is a true national it's a holiday. It's a real holiday, June 8th. Yes, I highly recommend everyone <laughs> celebrates Best Friends Day because we had a very good day. Tell them what we did, Julia. Oh my gosh. What didn't we do, Lauren? We went shopping. Yes. We ate a healthy lunch yes. followed by dessert at the Deke. At the Deke. Which is what we call the Dairy Queen. Meet me at the Deke. We even have a song. Yeah. It's great. We And we can't get sued by anyone. <laughs> no, because we made it up ourselves. <laughs> and then we went and saw oh the greatest God. movie of the 21st century. Easily. Even down. better than Magic Mike XXL, which, which if is you a, know us, is really one of the pinnacles of cinema. Yes, it's a seminal work mm-hmm. of, of modern American cinema. Uh-huh. And this is even better. Ocean's 8. Oh, my gosh. Just, just go see it. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. It is Julia's favorite type of movie, which is a heist, heist movie where no one gets hurt. Heist movie where no one gets hurt. Um, there's beautiful women, but there are no love interests. And there are very few men. And the fashion is great. And like the music is good. And like Sandy Bullock looks There's great. lots of funny bits. Oh, it's funny. Every lady is awesome. Oh my gosh. They're all kick ass at what they do. Yep. Kate Blanchett wears the best lesbian suits you've ever seen in your life. Oh my God. The best ones I've ever seen. I was, I have never, I'm not into like masculine fashion for myself. Mm -hmm. I can appreciate it on other people. Mm -hmm. I feel like my butt's too big for it. But (laughs) when I saw Kate Blanchett in that green sparkle Mm. suit with those high block heels, I was like, can I be you? I want to embody Kate Blanchett on a motorcycle Wearing a green spangly suit. Oh, she's so good. Also, if you are a fan of the Ocean's Eleven or Ocean's Thirteen, we're not going to mention Ocean's Twelve because yeah, that, that was not bad. that good. But there are also some characters that might pop up <laughs> in so Ocean's good. Eight, and it's you so might good. go, "Yay!" When it oh happens, yes. So Julie and I kept grabbing each other's hands and going, Yay! "Yeah, we were like twenty minutes into it, and I was like, this is my favorite movie.'" <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is now, and I my kept waiting movie. for like. The other shooter drop and yeah. we'd be like, oh, well, oh never no. mind. No. Stage it just great. kept getting better. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Oh, and the only thing, and I mentioned this to Julie after the movie, and no spoilers on this. The only thing that took me completely out of the fantasy <laughs> of the movie as a museum worker, as you may know, may or may not know, the Ocean's 8 plot revolves around the Met Gala ball. Yes. and Does it um, ever. Yes, it certainly does. And, you know, you see some shots of the fictitious exhibit that they're pulling the Mm -hmm. heist at and in that you see the gallery and all of the dresses and crown jewels are on mannequins in a shallow pool of water and I was like nope that would never happen (laughs) sorry no curator worth their salt or collections manager or anybody who was loaning objects to that museum would ever allow conservators will agree with us 100% oh yeah with no shallow pools of still water surrounding your your priceless objects. Your relative humidity would go through the roof. Mm-hmm. And just, it's just bad news bears all but around. But it's beautiful. In the movie. Oh, it's so gorgeous. So. I mean, as a, an aesthetic, it's a great choice. As so a museum worker. your disbelief momentarily. Yes, it broke my heart. But go see great it. Great movie. See it more a than plus, once. A plus, plus, plus. Yes. We're going to see it again. Oh, yeah. Like we thought about staying and seeing and it again. And just seeing the next show. Yesterday. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my god yeah oh man well also, we have a lot to cover today we do but yeah remember we have to our our listeners have been asking for yes, a definition exactly. from exactly number two on my on my bullet points oh, okay was <laughs> we have to explain something <laughs> so you've heard us use the term besmaker on uh, a couple of occasions and we've been getting tweets from people asking is this a regionalism <laughs> is this something just like just rochester has now um julie and i have been using this word in our personal lexicon for, for years. years now mm-hmm. to the point where we don't even bat an eye when the other person uses the term besmeager but julia you can tell the story oh. of how besmeager came to be well, so my youngest brother, Bill, who does not listen to the podcast, uh, he tends to make up words, um, whether it's to make him sound smarter or because he heard it and liked it. <laughs> so he'll make up a word or he'll use a word in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. So our best example of this is like my dad cooked pizza one night and Bill goes, mm, dad, this pizza is deplorable. <laughs> Which is so that's, amazing. you know, not the right time to use that word no but he thought in the moment that it you know I'm it gonna was use a big there word to describe what he wanted <laughs> um so lauren came to visit my family with me and billy was there and um he said something maybe someone was uh jagging him about something which sorry that's a pittsburgh word for like making fun of uh so billy goes are you besmeagering me and we all stopped and i said what's bes- besmeager and he was like yeah besmeager like I pronounced it wrong like he was correcting me on the pronunciation of the word (laughs) I was like what what is uh could you spell that for me and he was like b smeager okay so uh we fell in love with it along with the word super synth yes that he came up with we also don't know the definition i don't know that you can use that whenever you want yeah i think it's i'm I'm assuming it means something good but who's to say (laughs) who's to say so besmeager basically means to insult yeah or make fun of yes so it's basically between besmirch and beleaguer yeah i use it for like are you picking on me like are you besmeagering me right now yes so um, we use it, and uh, as soon as we heard Billy use that word, we were oh, like, we're going to spread the word out. of besmeager. We're going to mm-hmm. make it into the national lexicon. And so this We're pod- trying our damnedest. Yeah, and you know what? Honestly, we started this podcast just so we could, <laughs> <laughs> so we could start besmeager uh, as a thing. So feel free to use it. Mm-hmm. Um, you and don't then, have to credit anybody no, or anything. Don't. We don't need to be cited. And... Um, <laughs> You know what? All we ask is that if you use it and someone asks you what it means, just act like Billy and be like, how do you, how do you not know what besmeager means? Yeah. Like, um, I said besmeager. I think that goes without saying I don't need to explain myself. <laughs> so that is what besmeager is. Um, we were not making fun of our listeners. It's just <laughs> yeah. a weird uh, friend thing that we do. So there you have it. All right. Next on my bullet points. Okay. Bullet points. We're getting into this, baby. Oh, I'm excited. Uh, today's topic okay. was suggested by a listener. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, so Heather H. on oh, Twitter Heather. suggested this earlier this year. So um, I decided to take it and run with it. Great. Um, today, we're talking about grocery stores. <laughs> Woohoo! 
I have always wanted to learn more about um, about retail <laughs> establishments that sell food and uh, oh, baked goods. I'm so glad yeah. um, because they haven't been around for a very long time. Actually. Oh, really? Yeah. So uh, beginning in the Middle Ages, about a grocer or a purveyor was a dealer in edible dry goods such as spices, peppers, sugar, and then later on cocoa, tea, and coffee. Mm-hmm. Because these items were often bought in bulk, they were named for the French word for wholesaler, a grossier, G-R-O-S-S-I-E-R. Oh, mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so back in the day, you would you would go to the grocer for those dry goods, but then you would also you, like you would go to the baker and buy your bread. You would go to the dairy and buy your milk. You would go to the butcher and buy your meat. That type of thing. So, um, as like when you take a foreign language in high school and you have to learn all these different words for all these different stores, yeah. that's mm-hmm. because that's where people that's where people would acquire these things or sure. they would have like a big like general market in the town or something mm-hmm. like that but there wasn't like something that was always there for you to get your food yeah so um the first self-service grocery store opened in 1916 in memphis tennessee it was called piggly wiggly piggly wiggly is the first grocery store the first self-service grocery store so i'm sure you're going to explain this <laughs> hopefully <laughs> well yes of course Piggly Wiggly. Mm-hmm. Piggly. We'll get there. Okay. Piggly Wiggly. Piggly Wiggly. That's how you'll hear it said. It's a very Southern sure. chain. Sure. It wouldn't fly up here. No, no. But Yankee would ever allow the words Piggly Wiggly to leave their <laughs> horrified like So Yankee bask mouth. in this now. Yeah. Uh, so the Piggly Wiggly was opened in 1916 by Clarence Saunders, who is an inventor and entrepreneur. So uh, prior to this establishment, the customer would like walk up to a counter or display and ask for the food items that they wanted to purchase. They could also hand over a grocery list as an order that the grocer or other clerks would then fill and afterward charge the customer. Piggly Wiggly introduced the innovation of allowing customers to go through the store gathering their own goods. So this cut costs on, sure. you know, on staff, um, allowing for lower prices for the goods. So Piggly Wiggly secured the self-service format and issued franchises to hundreds of grocery retailers for the operations of its stores. And the concept of the self-serving store was patented by Saunders in 1917. So customers at this Piggly Wiggly, they would enter the store through a turnstile and walk through four aisles to view the store's 605 items sold in packages and organized into departments. So the customers would select merchandise as they continued through the maze to the cashier. Um, instantly, packaging and brain recognition became very important for customers oh, sure, and yeah. consumers. The original Piggly Wiggly was the first to provide checkout stands, mm. price mark every item in the store, and eventually provide shopping carts for customers. Interesting. According to Piggly Wiggly's website, <laughs> founder Clarence Saunders was reluctant to explain the origin of the company's name. So there's two theories. One story says that while riding a train, he looked out his window and saw several little pigs struggling to get under a fence, which prompted him to think of the rhyme. Okay. So some wiggly piglies. <laughs> that was <laughs> cute. That's kind of cute. Um, but then someone once asked him why he chose such an unusual name, and he replied, so people will ask that question. That's, I... Okay, you don't like that it. answer. No, I, <laughs> I don't love it, but mm-hmm. I get it. Yeah. Like if you want, if you're starting something brand new that is hard to explain to people who have been doing a process a certain way their entire mm-hmm. lives, you might as well call it something nonsensical so that a conversation can arise from like, what the hell's a piggly wiggly, you know? Yeah. So sure. That's, I get it. Yeah. I don't know if I'd go with piggly wiggly, but you know, yeah, you know, whatever. Pigs are cute. Well, 
company's still going strong, and their headquarters are in Keene, New Hampshire. Oh, that's interesting. Even though most of their locations are like the Midwest and the South. Hmm. In 1937, Saunders also developed the concept for a fully automated grocery store in Memphis. Oh. And this is really cool. So this new store was called Key Doozle, K-E-E-D-O-O-Z-L-E, as in Key Does All, like key doozle oh okay because each customer would receive a key to use while shopping so sample merchandise was displayed behind rows of little display cabinets of glass boxes and customers would then put the key in labeled keyholes at the merchandise display and select the quantity that they want electric circuits cause perforations to be cut in a ticker tape attached to the face of the customer's key and the customer then took the punched out tape to the cashier for processing the cashier would insert the tape into a reading mechanism that would electronically read the tape mm -hmm. like a computer um and then that set off electrical and electronic circuits which started the goods sliding down conveyor belts and then it like tallied the cost in the process oh my gosh the problem was the technology at the time was not advanced enough to, to handle heavy traffic like this oh, guy yeah. was like 50 years ahead of his time um so the store had to often be shut down repeatedly when like oh, wires yeah, were sure. crossed or shoppers received the wrong foods and the conveyor belts also were not like fast enough for the concept to seem worth it but like Reading about this is really That's cool. Really like cool. really ahead of his time. Yeah. Um, the key doozle. Yeah, because it's kind of like a sort of like a vending machine sort of thing. Because even now with the amount of technology that we yeah. have, I mean, I still got to haul my ass around Wegmans <laughs> or pay someone to haul their asses around Wegmans <laughs> and get the stuff that yeah. I need. So not it's very interesting. Conveyor belted right up to you at the yeah. register. Yeah. A um, couple of definitions for you. So okay. a supermarket. Yes. According to Merriam-Webster, a supermarket is a self-service retail market selling especially foods and household merchandise. Okay. A hypermarket. That's a thing? Oh, okay. Yeah. So a hypermarket <laughs> is a very large store that carries products found in a supermarket as well as merchandise commonly found in department stores. So Americans typically refrain from using this term hypermarket, yeah. um, instead calling such establishments big box stores, super centers, or super stores. Okay. So like... Uh Super Target that has yes. groceries. Mm -hmm. and, well, now all Targets have, but most gro Targets have groceries. Right, and, but that's still just stuff. a, that's still just a chain store. Yeah, at that point. exactly. Yeah, so until the 1980s, large stores combining food and non-food items were actually unusual in the U.S. Sure. Um, so like a Walmart Super Center, like mm -hmm. a Super Kmart and Super Target are examples of hypermarkets. Yeah. I remember I learned this word first um, in French. They have a hypermarché oh. and like people had to explain to us what that concept was yeah. because we don't typically use that word here in yeah. America. Um, in the 1990s, the Food Marketing Institute, which partnered with the Smithsonian Institution and with funding from the H.J. Hines Company, formed a study to determine what the oldest supermarket in America is. Like the, the oldest, oldest supermarket. Oh, supermarket, so yes. The Piggly Wiggly was a self-service grocery store. Sure. The supermarket. Um, defining their attributes as self-service, separate product departments, discount pricing, marketing, and volume selling. The study determined that the first true supermarket in the U.S. was opened by a former Kroger employee named Michael J. Collin um, in August 1930 inside a 6,000-square-foot former garage in Jamaica, Queens, in New York City. So the store was called King Collin. Okay. It operated under the slogan, pile it high, sell it low. And at the time of Collins' death in 1936, there were 17 King Collins stores in operation and King Collins still operates on Long Island. So cool. they are the oldest supermarket chain in America. So um, 
things that you need to know about supermarkets. Sure. I'm going to talk about some national chains, okay. some of the biggest national chains. So actually the first largest seller of foods and goods in America is Walmart. They have 3,522 stores. They have like 700 neighborhood markets. They have a bunch of Sam's Clubs. I'm not going to really talk about them. You just need to know they are the most. They have the most locations and sell the most. Next up though, Kroger. Okay, yeah. So Kroger, and you've heard of it. Yeah. Um, It is uh, at this point um, about 2,460 stores. So 2,460 stores. So other than the brand name Kroger, Mm -hmm. they also operate under the name Baker's Supermarkets, City Market, Dillon's Supermarkets, Fred Meyer, Fry's, Harris Teeter, King Supers, Owens, QFC, Ralph's, and and several others. I have heard of Harris Teeter. Yeah. Because uh, my coworker, Sarah, hi, Sarah, talks <laughs> frequently about Harris Teeter. Mm-hmm. And for a good amount of time, I thought she was just talking about some guy who was very <laughs> Mr. Good Teeter. At, yeah, who just got stuff he had for a great- you. <laughs> <laughs> that, I got that from Harris Teeter. Wow, really? He's... He should really caravan. He just, he's like a gypsy. He should open up his own store. (laughs) (laughs) So Kroger was founded by Bernard Kroger in 1883 Mm. in Cincinnati, Ohio, with his life savings of $372, which today is about $9,800. Oh, still, that's not, that's not a ton. Yeah. Um, He opened a grocery store at 66 Pearl Street in Cincinnati. Today, Kroger is the U.S.'s largest supermarket chain by revenue, the second largest general retailer behind Walmart, Mm. um, and the 18th largest company in the United States. Kroger is also the third largest retailer in the world and third largest private employer in the United States. Wow. And their headquarters are in Cincinnati. So some of the innovations that were introduced by Kroger um, in the 1930s, they were the first grocery chain to monitor product quality and to test foods offered to customers. They were also the first to have a store surrounded on all four sides by parking lots, which is funny because like before the 1930s, you didn't really have to think too much about parking lots. No, you really did not. Um, And then in the 1970s, Kroger became the first grocer in the U.S. to test an electronic scanner and was the first to formalize consumer research. Interesting. Yeah. So yeah, down in Virginia, when I went to college, we had Kroger around there. But mm-hmm. yeah, I've I've been to Harris, some Harris Teeters too. Harris They're Teeter. delightful. Um, next up, you have Albertsons. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there's about 2,400 stores. And besides the Albertsons brand, some stores are operated under the banners Acme Markets, Cars, Jewel Osco, Lucky, Tom Thumb, Safeway, Shaw's, and Vaughn's, among others. Mm-hmm. So Albertsons was founded by Joe Albertson. Oh, huh. what a thing. In July 1939 in Boise, Idaho. An ad in the, Ohio- in the Idaho Statesman newspaper touted Joe Albertson's first store as Idaho's largest and finest food store. The store is filled with perks that at the time were brand new. So there was free parking, a money back guarantee, and an ice cream shop inside. <gasps> um, and when Albertson was considering putting in a new store in town, he would drive around the town and look for neighborhoods with lots of children's clothing hanging on clotheslines oh. because he knew that these kinds of neighborhoods were where he wanted to build his stores. That's very smart, smart and observant mm-hmm. of him. Huh. Uh, today, Albertsons is the second largest supermarket chain in the North America after Kroger. Mm. And um, recently, they acquired Safeway. So okay. yeah. um, if you've heard of Safeway. Um, so the name of Safeway actually refers to the chain's original cash and carry policy. So many grocery stores at the time offered credit, but the founder, Sam Selig, did not, making it the safe way to shop and avoid falling into debt. I see. So okay, that's where so that name comes from. So it's safe for you, the shopper. Yeah. I see. Mm-hmm. In it's terms the of safe money. safe way to shop. 
now that everybody obviously takes well, yeah. cards. I mean, I, let's yeah. be honest. I am extremely unsafe. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, school loans. Anyway. All right. Next up, we have, I mean, maybe you haven't heard of this uh, company. Okay. Ahold Del Hayes. Can you, what? Ahold Del Hayes. <laughs> uh, A-H-O-L-D. D-E-L-H-A-I-Z-E. Ahold Del Hayes. Okay. Um, so they have 2,265 stores under the following brands. Food Lion, oh. Hannaford, Giant Carlisle, oh, Giant yeah. Landover, Stop and Shop, and Martin's Food Market. Oh my gosh, I know all of those. Yeah. So Ahold Del Hayes is an international food retail group operating supermarkets and e-commerce businesses, and its headquarters are in Zandam, Netherlands. Oh. Ahold Del Hayes was formed in July 2016 from the merger of Ahold and Del Hayes Group. And Del Hayes Group del- dates back to 1867 when the Del Hayes brothers opened a wholesale grocery business in Charlois, Belgium. And Ahold traces its roots back to 1887 when Albert Hein opened a first store in the Dutch town of Utsdzan. That's a good name. So I thought it was like a Spanish thing. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's um, there's an international food retail group headquartered over in the Netherlands that owns. Mm, like the third largest retail of a uh, supermarket chain in America. That's so crazy. I used to shop at the giant when I lived in Binghamton. Yeah. It was underwhelming. Some of them were better than others. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember when I lived in Maryland and we had giant, um, what was cool about those was they had like self scanners. So you could pick up a scanning oh, yeah. gun when you came in with your cart and your bags mm-hmm. and you could basically scan your groceries as you put them into your bags and then basically all you had to do was go to the checkout and hand them your pricing gun and then they would print out everything and whatever. See, that's nice. Yeah. I kind of like that idea. It was kind of cool because then that way like you knew where you were because sometimes you're like, yeah, I think this is $60 worth of food. And then, and then like, you are oh. wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know that feeling. And it's yeah. like, you know what? I don't actually, could you put that back? <laughs> yeah. Oh, and um, so another national chain that okay. we got to talk about. Sure. Trader Joe's. Oh, Trader Joe's. Small favorite. <laughs> um, so there's 479 stores. Um, they're currently owned by Aldi Nord, which I will talk about in mm-hmm. a second. So Trader Joe's, named after its founder, Joe Coulomb. And Coulomb is said to have developed the idea of the Trader Joe's South Seas motif while he was on vacation in the Caribbean. So the tiki culture fad of the 50s and 60s was fresh in the cultural memory. And he had noticed that Americans were traveling more and returning home with tastes for food and wine they had trouble satisfying in supermarkets at the time. True. So his first store, branded as Trader Joe's, opened in 1967. So Trader Joe's... Is known for two buck chuck, yes. which is Charles Shaw wine, which is made by Franzia. That they oh, get a I special didn't know that. Deal for. So we don't it get used it here. to be two buck chuck, and now it's three buck chuck. But in New York State, they don't sell wine at grocery, grocery stores, stores, so we don't know. We can't. Yeah. We cannot attest. I don't know what to it its, tastes like um, to its drinkability. Um, apparently, there is a hidden plastic lobster in every store. What? And if you find it, you go up to the customer service desk and you tell them you found it and maybe they'll give you a prize. I don't know. I've never found it. I didn't know that was there. Oh my gosh, now I'm going. Mm-hmm. After this, I'm going yep. to Trader Joe's looking for the plastic um, Trader lobster. Joe's also try before you buy anything. So if you're like, I don't know what these crazy crispy chips would taste like, if you ask a crew member, they will open up the bag for you and then you can have them as a snack. Are you serious? Yeah. You try anything in the store. What if the frozen foods? Do they like pop well, it in a microwave? Okay, I don't know about that. Well, maybe they do. Maybe I mean, they maybe do. Maybe they do. 
Can I tell you, I had the Trader Joe's butter chicken the mm-hmm. other day. It was like the frozen oh, dinner. Yeah. The, it like was, the Indian butter chicken. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. It was delicious. Mm-hmm. It was the best butter chicken I have ever eaten, which yeah, is insane. So good. But it was so tasty. It, was, it had just the right amount of spice. I was like, oh, I was living for it. It was mm. so good. Mm. Mm. Um, I'm hungry. Also, every Trader Joe's store has its own artist. So like when you oh. walk in and you see the murals and oh, stuff, okay, like yeah. there is a store artist that does all those. Nice. Um, also, many uh, well-known companies make their private label foods. So they don't ever spell it out, but people have kind of figured out online, like when there's like a product recall and Trader Joe's is like, I'm going to need you to return all of those sandwich cookies you <laughs> ate. Wink. Like yeah. then you can figure out like which, you know, which company. if there's a recall or something happening, that's, that's how you can kind of figure yeah. it out. Yeah, but there's so many things at Trader Joe's that I think are superior to some of the things we buy at other stores. I'll just <laughs> leave it at that. No, I agree. I There are a couple of things that I was like, meh, about, but the nine times out of 10, if I buy something from Trader Joe's, I love it. It's very good. Yeah. Um, also, briefly, you should just know that there was for a while pirate joe's in canada yes i was gonna mention that yeah, yeah. so um since there were no trader joe's stores operating in canada there was somebody that like opened up a storefront across the across country the line mm-hmm. and would like come to america and go to trader joe's and pile up their car with things and then bring them back over to canada and they had enough to open their own like storefront pirate joe's yeah i think it's been shut down so it has been shut down it was in vancouver i believe Mm. and they were right at the border so they would just like once a week i think the guy and his wife would like drive over the border (laughs) into washington and like buy a bunch of things but they were in litigation for a really long time because trader joe's was like you cannot resell our products and he's like well then bring up a trader joe's up here and so it was like a whole thing but yeah he international incident yeah pirate joe's it almost caused war between the u.s and canada could you imagine the trader joe's wars (laughs) terrible but yeah he's gone oh we lost many men (laughs) in the trader Trader joe's wars of the aughts but oh the peppermint jojos (laughs) worth it uh, so Joe Coulomb was the founder of Trader Joe's and actually Germany's Theo Albrecht bought the company in 1979 as a personal investment for his family. But wait a second, who is Theo Albrecht? So yeah. this leads us to talking about Aldi. So Carl and Theo Albrecht took over their mother's grocery store near Essen, Germany in 1946, and they began expanding. By 1960, the brothers owned 300 shops in Germany, but they had a dispute over whether their stores should sell cigarettes. And then they ended up splitting the company. So in 1962, they introduced the name Aldi, short for Albrecht Discount, which is like discount Albrecht, their last name. So um, Aldi was split into Aldi Nord and Aldi Sud. So mm. that's Aldi North, Aldi South. Um, they have been financially and legally separate since 1966, although both divisions' names may appear as if they were a single enterprise with certain store brands or when negotiating with contractor companies. The individual groups were originally owned and managed jointly by the brothers. Carl Albrecht retained ownership of Aldi Sud and with a personal wealth of 17.2 billion euro, made him the richest man in Germany, while the co-owners of Aldi Nord, Theo Albrecht's sons Bertold and Theo Albrecht Jr., we're close behind at 16 billion euro. 
recently. Wow. Uh, in 1976, Aldi opened its first store in the United States in Iowa. And three years later in 1979, Aldi Nord acquired Trader Joe's. And after German reunification and the fall of the Iron Curtain, Aldi experienced a rapid expansion. So Aldi in America, there are 1,750 locations. They keep their prices low by selling fewer than 2,000 products compared with a typical range of 20,000 to 30,000 products in a big supermarket. No money is wasted on fancy shop fittings and goods are typically just like piled up on pallets in the boxes they came in. Aldi is known for being no thrills. They don't accept coupons. You need a quarter deposit for shopping, you know, for the shopping cart when you get there. You have to bring your own bags and you have to bag them yourself. Um, about 90% of the items are Aldi branded. Mm-hmm. Um, they're only open limited hours. They're only open what they consider to be like peak shop hours. So like nine to six or nine to seven or something like yeah. that. So if you're an early bird like my dad and you try to go <laughs> shopping at 7 a.m., you can't. You cannot. Um, and they used to only accept cash, but only recently yeah. did they change their policy to mm-hmm. they also take cards now. So yeah, Aldi. There's an Aldi out where I grew up in the middle of nowhere in... Uh, Northwest New York. Um, and I used to go there with my mom and uh, we would grab every bag in the house that was able to carry things. And when they scan the food, it is, it is the, when they say no frills, they literally <laughs> just it. pass it across the scanner and then throw it back into your cart <laughs> on the other end. So it's like, it's like a mad rush oh, as they're like scanning and throwing and you're like, Ugh! so you're mm-hmm. grabbing the bags and you're throwing whatever you can in there. Yeah. And then there's like a back bar where you can like pull over and bag up your stuff the way you want to. But it's yeah. it's crazy. It really is. And that's what it's like in um, European markets too is you have to bag your own stuff. And I yeah. know that that was like kind of like a little bit of a culture shock to Americans when you first go. Yeah. And have to, you're like, what? What? I didn't bring a bag with me. <laughs> I want convenience. <laughs> um, their food is pretty good. They have really good snacks. Mm-hmm. Um, when they first came to the U S there was like an unspoken rule to not buy anything fresh because Mm. it was probably not very good. Mm. But from what I hear now, it's, uh, it's better than what it used to be. So yeah, Aldi is good. If you're on a budget, Aldi is great. Yeah. Well, if you're not on a budget, you can go to Whole Foods Market. Oh my God. There's, um, as of. Uh, a couple years ago, there's about 430 stores, and um, you may remember them being in the news in 2017 for being bought by Amazon. Yes. So the origins of Whole Foods Market. So in 1978, John Mackey and Renee Lawson borrowed $45,000 from family and friends to open a small vegetarian natural food store called Safer Way in Austin. So that name was a spoof of Safeway. That's on purpose. That's rude. Yeah. <laughs> um, two years later, they partnered with Craig Weller and Mark Skiles to merge Safer Way with the latter's Clark's natural grocery resulting in the opening of the original whole foods market Mm. this is in austin texas so at 10,500 square feet and with a staff of 19 the store was quite large in comparison to the standard health food store of the time Mm. whole foods is the first grocer in the united states to have certified adherence to national organic program standards which involve monitoring products from the time that they reach stores until they are placed into a shopping cart so all foods sold at whole foods are free of artificial preservatives colors flavors sweeteners and hydrogenated fats but they also won't sell any foods that contain any of about 80 specifically defined ingredients including aspartame bleached flour foie gras msg nitrates and benzoyl peroxide whole foods is known for paying its employees well um it is slightly pricier than other markets um because especially there's a lot of organic there's special ingredients they get things in small batches they Mm -hmm. get things from local 
you know, local producers. Um, they do have a salary cap for executives, which is kind of nice to oh, hear about. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. And um, no plastic bags there. No plastic. No plastic. Just paper, paper. only or bring your own. Um, and again, they were just bought by Amazon in 2017. If you are walking around the city and you <laughs> have a killer that. headache, don't bother going to Whole Foods. Oh my gosh. They will not sell you anything. They do not have Advil. They do not nope. have Tylenol. They nope. do not have... Uh, they don't have anything that works. It's all homeopathy and homeopathic. They're like, you can put this oil on your temples. You can rub it on your temples like, and But chant. I know if I had, I don't know, four pills of ibuprofen, I would feel better immediately. 15 minutes. Yeah, that was the last time I saw Steve truly furious. <laughs> and he is not someone who gets angry easily. Um, we joke that he has, there are only three things that go, that take him from zero to enraged in no time. <laughs> And that is uh, homeopathic medicine, <laughs> bad drivers, and we just recently learned is multi-level marketing oh, yeah. companies. So <laughs> yeah, he was unhappy and was like loud about it too. He was like, I can't believe they don't have Advil here. And I was like, can we just go? We can just stop at a CBS. He was like, no, they don't have anything that works. It's all bullshit. All you hippies. <laughs> you dirty hippies. Yeah, he was real mad. Oh, man. Well, it was a long weekend. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Uh, and then the last national chain I want to bring up is IGA. Oh, yeah. Do you remember this? Yes, okay. I do. So IGA is actually a U.S. brand of grocery stores that has nearly 5,000 supermarkets worldwide with stores in 46 of the United States and more than 30 countries around the globe. So it was founded in the U.S. as the Independent Grocers Alliance in 1926. Oh. So the headquarters are in Chicago, Illinois. The stores in the Alliance remain independently owned and operated, and the Alliance oversees several resources shared among the member stores. So these include, most visibly, the IGA store brand products and the logistical network that distributes them. Hmm. Um, the Alliance also provides training and assessment programs and an online advertising platform, and it regularly coordinates promotional events and charity fundraising events that benefit store communities. So you'll mostly see these in like more rural areas, I would say. Sure. Um, but just when you see that IGA brand they're part of this like alliance and it's, you know, helps, it helps to keep like the little guys alive. That's cool. Yeah. Good job, IGA. Um, what do you know about the psychology of grocery store shopping? Um, I took a class in, in undergrad <laughs> uh -huh. that had to do with like, um, uh, I don't remember what it was. It was like the psychology of advertising or something like that. Like uh -huh. how to write for advertising. It was actually really fascinating and it had stuff to do with like the temperature of the store yeah. and like, uh, the music mm -hmm. And sometimes certain stores, not necessarily grocery stores, but um, they pipe like a smell, like mm -hmm. a, an overall scent. Yeah. And like lavender is supposed to be calming and lemon is supposed to be energizing and all of this stuff. So yeah, I knew, I know, you like know a little bit. Yeah. Great. Let me tell you, let me refresh your memory. P please and then do. inform our listeners. This is very exciting. So supermarkets have done a lot of research to help figure out the best strategies to manipulate shoppers senses and encourage spending. Mm. Grocery stores make it purposely difficult to simply get in and get out with what you need. They do everything they can to lure you with their products. Um, so like the dairy section, for example, is typically one of the farthest away from the doors so that you have to walk true. through or past much of the store in order to get to that because they know that's something that you do need fresh. Yeah. So here's, here's some of the ways that stores manipulate us. Oh God. Um, a lot of the time expensive items are at eye level. Yes. Because you're, you just see it and you, like, know you want go. it and you just put it in your cart and you don't bother either. You can't reach up too high or mm -hmm. you don't bother crouching down. 
Um, they have a lot of times they'll, there'll be things that are deals that end in like a 98 cents or a 99 cents. Mm -hmm. Um, they call that charm pricing to get you to think of it as a smaller number. So studies have shown that if you see something that's a dollar 99, you're more likely to associate it with a dollar than you would be $2. Oh, that's interesting. Just because you see the one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, the tempo of instrumental background music can significantly influence both the pace of in-store traffic flow and the daily gross sales volume purchased by customers. So music that's too fast can cause you to speed up your shopping and leave the store as soon as you can. And slower music can influence you to take your time and linger around. That's interesting. So that's why like when you're shopping, you usually, you know, yeah, you can like, picture boop, boop, boop. it like it's like some soft adult yeah, can music. tempo. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they plan that. Although there have definitely been times when I've been at Wegmans and they have like a song has come on that I absolutely hate and I'm like, I'm out of here. Yeah. Like, I have definitely <laughs> been like, this is the last thing I'm grabbing. I'm getting into the line. Comment card. Yeah, I should. Uh, the larger the cart, the more likely you'll end up spending more. Oh, yeah. So um, they say, you know, they suggest if you're on a budget, try to stick to a handbasket instead. Um, and research found that when the size of the cart doubled, consumers bought 40% more. Wow. So like, you and me, when we go to Target, we usually get baskets. But if we get a cart to share, oh, yeah. we're going to put more in it. That's true. That happened yesterday. <laughs> I bought too much stuff. Mm. Anyway. Treat yourself. <laughs> Treat yourself. Um, stores shift their layouts. I found this was very noticeable in the Pittsburgh Wegmans. Yes. Um, so stores are actually doing this on purpose because if you don't know where items are, you'll end up spending more time in the store looking for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and more time to browse means more chances to tempt you into buying more items. Yeah. Because I, uh, like a lot of people don't like asking mm-hmm. for help. It's like, I don't want to ask somebody where cereal is. I'll just keep walking. I'll find it. Or it's like, you're gonna, you're going to have to backtrack to yeah. find a person to ask them where exactly. something is yeah so it's like eh, i'll just keep walking yeah flowers and other pleasant smelling items like baked goods are often put in the front of the supermarket Ooh, so that true. you'll be sniffing sweet scents when you first walk in this will not only put you in a better mood but it will also trigger your salivary glands making you more prone to impulse buys oh yeah but that bs they're controlling us all over the oh place oh my god well i mean you know if you go to the grocery store hungry all bets oh, are off. Forget it. I buy the weirdest stuff when I'm hungry. I'm like, Ritz crackers. Yes, please. <laughs> and then I'm stuck with a box of Ritz crackers. Stuck with or what'd you say? You're stuck with them? Or... Yeah, stuck, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I am snacking on them. Um, being hit with splashes of color in the produce aisle right when you walk in the store also will put you in a good mood and will make you want to buy more. And it sets the tone for the whole shopping experience and makes consumers think more favorably of that particular supermarket. So if you walk into a store and their produce is all beat up, you're just automatically going to think that everything else there is crappy, even if just like the stuff on the shelves is stable. Yeah, exactly. It's not any different than at any other grocery store. Mm -hmm. But yeah, if you got a bunch of bruised apples, you're like gross. Exactly. <laughs> I, don't, I got nothing. No, no. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Yeah. I concur. Great. <laughs> Great. And finally, samples slow you down in a supermarket mm. and they can get customers to buy a product that wasn't on their list to begin with. And trying something for free can also instill a sense of commitment or obligation to buying the product. That's true. I definitely buy a lot of things that I sample at Trader Joe's. Yes. Because they'll like put stuff together I didn't think of. Yeah. Like they had this, you know, baked brie and they put this like figs bread on it. And oh. I was like, yes, I will take one of each. Thank mm-hmm. you. That kind of thing. Yeah. They had those, uh, they had like a black bean enchilada and they put like their like um, uh, the Greek yogurt mm. on top. And mm-hmm. I was like, delicioso. Yep. Yeah, it was great. Grabbed them One, both. please. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
I'm going to chat about a couple of regional supermarket chains that people should know. Sure. So Publix. Yes. U-B-L-I-X. There are 1,172 stores, mostly in Florida, Alabama, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, and a couple in Virginia. Mm -hmm. So that was founded in 1930 by George W. Jenkins. And Publix is a private corporation that is wholly owned by present and past employees. And it is considered the largest employee-owned company in the world. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So in 1940, uh, George Jenkins, affectionately called Mr. George by his employees, mortgaged an orange grove to build Florida's first supermarket. His food palace had piped in music, air conditioning, cold cases for frozen and refrigerated items, in-store donut and flower shops, and electric eye automatic doors. Can you imagine like the first time you walked through an automatic door? I would have freaked. I'm sure people were like (laughs) losing their minds. And uh, during World War II, material shortages prevented him from building additional stores. Mm. But in 1945, he purchased the 19-store all-American chain of food stores and converted them into Publix supermarkets. And the company has never had a period of layoffs. Wow. Seriously? Yeah, isn't that cool? Wow, that's really cool. Good so for them. So Publix, um, people that are listeners that are down south know it for their subs. You got to get oh, a sub okay. when you're at Publix. Apparently their deli counter is like. Fabulous. Yeah. Interesting. Um, their mascot's name is Publixaurus. Oh, it's, come on. Yeah. <laughs> um, apparently they have very great coupons. And I like this fact. Um, if you give a compliment about an employee to a manager, the employee earns like a free deli meal. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. You'd be so like. If someone really helps you out. Shout them out to the manager. You'd be like. Richard and cheese really helped me out. Yeah. He got me turned on to this delicious Cotija cheese. You're all ready to go shopping at Publix. Yeah. And Richard got himself a turkey club. All right. Have you heard of High V? Yes, I have heard of High V. H-Y-V-E-E. There's 246 stores in Iowa, Illinois, Kansas, Minnesota, Missouri, Nebraska, South Dakota, and Wisconsin. It was founded in 1930 by Charles Hyde and David Redenberg in okay. Beaconsville, Iowa. So their last the name of the store came from their two last names. Um, it is also an employee-owned chain, and it is the largest employer in Iowa. Oh, look at that. Way to go. Hi, V. Um, Meyer, M-E-I-J-E-R, is in the Midwest. Meyer. Okay. Um, it was founded in 1934 by Barbara Hendrick Meyer in Greenville, Michigan. It stocked original. He stocked his original store with $300 of merchandise that he bought on credit. But by 1960, he had 20 stores. In 1962, he opened Thrifty Acres in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which sold food and general merchandise and is considered one of the first retail super centers. And the original Thrifty Acres stores were built with six-inch floors so that they could be converted into car showrooms if the super center <gasps> concept failed. Wow. Oh, that's uh, a lot of foresight. Like, just in case, at least we can resell the building. That's and somebody cool. that sells cars can move into this. Wow, that is that is some serious forethought. So um, all of the Thrifty Acre stores were rebranded as Meyer in 1986. Um, and today, there are nearly 240 locations nationwide. About half of the company's 240 stores are located in Michigan's Lower Peninsula, with additional locations um, all around the Midwest. And it is technically classified as a super center or a hypermarket. Cool. Um, my hometown, Giant Eagle. Giant Eagle? Or, yeah, Giant Eagle. <laughs> my cousin Rick works at Giant Eagle. <laughs> That's true. Um, so 
mostly in Pennsylvania, but also Ohio, West Virginia, Maryland, and Indiana. So three families, the Goldsteins, the Porters, and the Chites, built a small grocery company called Eagle Grocery in 1918 around the Western Pennsylvania. The business was a success, and the Eagle chain expanded to 125 stores. But in 1928, the family sold Eagle Grocery to the Kroger Company. And as part of their arrangement with Kroger, the families agreed to leave the grocery business for three years. Wow. In the meantime, two families, the Moravitzes and the Weizenbaums, built their own successful chain of grocery stores named OK Grocery. Which I was like, it's just oh, okay. come on. Okay. Um, in 1931, the five families, so the Goldsteins, Porters, Chites, Moravitzes, and Weizenbaums, combined forces to form Giant Eagle. Which is much more positive sounding <laughs> than, than okay. okay groceries. <laughs> so in recent years, Giant Eagle has rebranded some of its stores as Market District in an attempt to attract upscale shoppers. Mm-hmm. So Giant Eagle serves more than 5 million customers annually through nearly 400 retail locations in Pennsylvania, Ohio, West Virginia, and Maryland. And Giant Eagle headquarters based in Pittsburgh, PA. There you so go. that's what I grew up on was going to Giant Eagle with yep. my Advantage card. Which my <laughs> So when I was like in maybe like sixth grade I had to sign up for a giant eagle advantage card because my dad didn't want like the government to track how much toilet paper our house bought so to for like the discount card for the family yeah of course you had to use your advantage card for stuff so it was under my name oh so yeah so he threw you yeah. under the government, so the government bus knew how much how much toilet paper I was buying yeah thanks a lot Bill yeah <laughs> and then finally what you clearly have all been waiting for. Yes. Wegmans. Wegmans. So there are 96 <laughs> stores in New York, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Virginia. Wegmans, W-E-G-M-A-N-S. There is no apostrophe. No, there is not. Wegmans was founded in 1916 by John and Walter Wegman as the Rochester Fruit and Vegetable Company. Wegmans stores were incorporated as Wegmans Food Markets in 1931 after the brothers opened a 20,000 square foot store in Rochester that featured a cafeteria, meats, produce, groceries, dairy products, and baked goods. And over the next few years, Wegmans introduced refrigerated display windows, vaporized water sprays in the produce section, and homemade candy. Wegmans launched a line of private label products in 1979 and opened its first store outside of New York in 1993. Wegmans has received much media attention for its rabid customer fan base. Yes. Organic food, hot food bar, uh, the depth of its food selection and employee happiness. Food Network recognized it with this award for best grocery store in 2007. Consumer Reports subscribers voted Wegmans the top grocery store in 2017, which it has held the top spot since 2006. In 2016, Market Force surveyed over 10,000 grocery store shoppers nationwide, and Wegmans was rated America's favorite grocery store. Yeah. I mean, they do a lot of good. They give a lot to charity. It's still uh, privately owned Mm -hmm. under the Wegman family they've never gone public Mm -hmm. because they feel that if they went public they would have to answer to shareholders right and therefore they're they feel like their um their quality would go down because Mm -hmm. of that they have like a whole college program for um, scholarships for for employers and college Mm -hmm. yeah if you work there i mean basically if you stay within the wegman's company even if you start off like a 14 year old like Mm -hmm. you know cashing people out or whatever like, if you stay loyal to them, they will take care yeah. of you. So, um, I mean, I hear good things, and I know some people who have worked for the company, and they're like, yeah, yep. Wegmans fans are insane. Yeah. Like, like it's when crazy. When they open a new store outside of New York, like, people that know about it will stand in line. Yep. 
Shout out to Kathleen who went to Wegmans in Crofton, Maryland on opening day. Oh my God. God bless her. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I really like Wegmans partially because I grew up with Tops, mm-hmm. which is a local chain in Buffalo and Aldi, which leave a lot to be desired. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I first went to Wegmans when I was a teenager, I was like, oh my God. God, there's so many, so much selection. <laughs> and the Wegmans in Pittsburgh mm-hmm. is like an incredible food paradise. You yes. walk in and it's like literally anything you could possibly want, they can get for you. Oh, yeah. It's, for sure. It's crazy. Or they'll cook it for you. You go to the fish market and you're like, I see this beautiful $50 thing of salmon. Would you be able to cook this for me? And they'd be like, <laughs> absolutely. Come back in 25 minutes. And they would do it. Yeah, they're very accommodating. When I first moved to Rochester um, five years ago, when I was like meeting my new coworkers and stuff, mm-hmm. they were like, oh, great. Where are you from? And I would tell them. And then they would say, have you found your Wegmans yet? <laughs> and I'm like, well, I just moved here two days ago. I went to one. Like, I don't know. Is it mine now? It seems like people are very like territorial about yes. their store. Yeah. My Wegmans mm-hmm. is the East Avenue Wegmans. But sometimes we go to Pittsburgh because it has more selection. I love Pittsburgh. That, I don't even go to East Ave anymore. Oh, no, no. Pittsburgh is great. Pittsburgh is like palatial. Mm-hmm. It's their their flower department alone is is an ocean Enormous. of exotic, mm-hmm. any kind of flower you could possibly want. Yep. Smells like heaven. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's a great place. I highly recommend. So <laughs> where, so growing up, like where did you, you said you went to Tops and you went to like IGA. Do you have, or sorry, it Aldi. went to Aldi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you have any like fond grocery store memories? Uh, I uh, is and was a donut fiend. Mm. And to this day, I will say, you know, Tops is kind of a garbage hole, but they make incredible donuts. Okay. And I learned from someone recently, I don't know, it was a, a conversation where someone mentioned Tops and I was like, they make great donuts. <laughs> I'm, I'm you a, need to talk. Yeah. You need to- <laughs> I'm a brilliant conversationalist, if you haven't noticed. But uh, whoever I was talking to said, yeah, the reason why is because they bake everything in-house instead hmm. of having stuff shipped to them frozen. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, and while like Wegmans has, makes everything in-house as well, Tops, everything was kind of subpar in terms of quality, except for their donuts. And their donuts were like hot and fresh with that white cream filling that I'm like crazy about. Mm. It was very good. So that's my fondest memory of of Tops is that <laughs> my mom would be like, "Let's go look at the donuts. Let's go say oh, hello to the donuts." Is that where you're? Is that where that saying came yeah, from? We would just it, go say hello to the donuts because you know it'd be rude not to say hello. We're just going to pass by and just look. Let's just look at them. We don't have to get anything. And then we would inevitably get one. Obviously. And then she would be like, don't tell your father. Yeah. So. Our our town, Giant Eagle, had, right when you walked in to the um, to the produce aisle, at the very beginning of it was a Brock's Pick-A-Mix. Oh, Do yeah. Do you remember that? And so they would have the little canister and you could put five cents in if you just wanted like one piece of candy from the Brock's Pick-A-Mix. Mm-hmm. Or you could get yourself a bag of Brock's Pick-A-Mix and yeah, exactly. take it to the register. Or whatever. Oh man, I forgot all about the Brock's Pick-A-Mix. My grandmother used to there get There were some that. hits and misses in there yeah, for sure. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. Yikes. All right. Some bonus info related. Great. Bodega. Oh yeah. It's from the Spanish for wine shop. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, And in New York City, Bodega has come to mean any convenience store or deli. Mm-hmm. Next, paper or plastic. Margaret Knight invented a machine to make the square bottom variety of paper bags in 1870. Oh, that's interesting. Good job. Great job, Margaret. Um, The modern lightweight shopping bag is the invention of Swedish engineer 
Sten Gustav Thulin. Ooh. My apologies, Sten, <laughs> if I have butchered your name. In the early 1960s, Thulin developed a method of forming a simple one-piece bag for a packaging company in Sweden. And Thulin's design produced a simple, strong bag with a high load carrying capacity and was patented worldwide by Celloplast in 1965. So because plastic bags are so durable, this makes them a concern for the environment. Yeah. They don't break down easily and as a result may be harmful to wildlife. In each year, millions of discarded plastic shopping bags end up as plastic waste litter in the environment when improperly disposed of. So the same properties that have made them so commercially successful and ubiquitous, their low weight and resistance to degradation, have also contributed to their proliferation in the environment. Mm -hmm. And due to their durability, plastic bags can take centuries to decompose. Um, Estimates say it could take between 500 to 1,000 years for a plastic shopping bag to break down, while the use lifespan of a bag is approximately 12 minutes. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's awful. Folks, either get paper bags yeah. or bring your own reusable ones. Oh, yeah, because then if, it, if nothing else, even if you care so little about our mother earth, <laughs> if nothing else, you don't have like a giant pile of plastic bags when after you've gone grocery shopping <sighs> and putting everything away. We have a bag of away. bags, and that's mostly my fault. No, I, I know. I always <laughs> forget. We always forget. But then you, you can take them to get them recycled. Yes. So Wegmans if has you like do end up with plastic bags, just make sure you recycle them. Exactly. Keep one in, keep a reusable bag in your car for those trips to the grocery store where you're like, ah, we have, we need milk. I'm going to grab some on my way home. Done and done. Great. L- look at us. Put our green team caps yep. on. We are environmentalists now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to tell you about UPCs. So uh, the universal product code is a barcode symbology widely used in the U.S., Canada, U.K., Australia, and uh, in Europe and New Zealand and other countries for tracking trade (laughs) items in stores. So UPCs consist of 12 numeric digits that are uniquely assigned to each trade item used for scanning at the point of sale. The first UPC marked item ever scanned at a retail checkout was at the Marsh Supermarket in Troy, Ohio at 8.01 a.m. Wow. on June 26, 1974. It was a 10-pack, 50-sticks of Wrigley's Juicy Fruit Chewing Gum. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> now that's and that, history. And it's like in the... Um, it, it might be the receipt, actually, is in the Smithsonian. Are you yeah. serious? That's hilarious. Yeah. Man, we will record anything. <laughs> Coupons. Coupons. The first coupons, as we know them, were created by Coca-Cola in the late 1880s. Retailers who bought two gallons of Coca-Cola syrup also received a handful of papers with this card entitles you to one glass of free Coca-Cola to lure customers in who would get their first for free and then pay for subsequent glasses. Oh, nice. Okay. So I like that. First coupons in America. Coca-Cola. Love it. And last but not least, the shopping cart. So, Sylvan Goldman, who was owner of the Humpy Dumpty supermarket chain in Oklahoma, um, one night in like 1936, Goldman sat in his office wondering how customers might move more groceries throughout the store. Sure. He found a wooden folding chair and put a basket on the seat and wheels on the legs. He and one of his employees began like fiddling around with it, and their first shopping cart was actually a metal frame that held two wire baskets. They were inspired by the folding chair, and Goldman called his carts folding basket carriers. The invention didn't catch on immediately. Uh, men found them effeminate and women found them suggestive of a baby carriage. Oh my God. Um, Everyone one needs to get a woman told him, I've pushed my last baby. Oh, jeez. 
after hire, <laughs> but after hiring several male and female models to push his new invention around his store and demonstrate their utility as well as greeters to explain their use shopping carts became popular and goldman became a multimillionaire. so this is the end of the 1930s people are like no no i will pile everything into my arms i will not push this around that's way more masculine yep. Oh, God. People and in are 1946, dumb. engineer Orla Watson devised a system for a telescoping or nesting shopping cart that mm. didn't require assembly or disassembly of its parts before and after use like Goldman's cart did. Oh. So Goldman's design up to this point required that the cart be unfolded much like a folding chair. Um, okay. But this Orla Watson's cart could be fitted into another cart for compact storage with a swinging one-way rear door. And this swinging rear door formed the basis of the patent claim and was a major innovation in the evolution of the modern shopping cart Very and as we see them today. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So that's, <laughs> that's a lot of stuff on grocery stores and things that are related to that them. That was great. I love that. So interesting. <laughs> and I always love a shout out to, to Wegmans and Trader Joe's. So. Yeah. There you have it. So our quiz today is called Clean Up on Aisle 5. This is a quiz on island nations and items that you'll find in the aisles of your local supermarket. I love it. Question one. Sharing is caring. What's the name of the large Caribbean island which is divided between two sovereign nations, Spanish-speaking Dominican Republic and Creole-speaking Haiti? Question two. In Spain, he's called Don Limpio. In Italy, he's Mastro Lindo. And in Spain, he's Monsieur Propre. In the U.S., what do Americans call this mascot of an eponymous all-purpose cleaner owned by Procter & Gamble? Question three. Blimey. The Pitcairn Islands, located in the Southern Pacific Ocean, are the least populous national jurisdiction in the world. In fact, their inhabitants are descended from nine mutineers of what real-life Royal Navy vessel which famously ousted its captain in 1789? Question four. Derived from the Latin word for world and a cutesy derivative of a term meaning tasty, what's the name of the American multinational confectionery, food, and beverage company that owns the global snack brands spun off from Kraft Foods? Question five. Hopefully nothing is rotting there. Zealand, not the new one, just Zealand, is the largest and most populous island of what Scandinavian country? Question six. You and the captain make it happen. I'll name three varieties of Captain Crunch cereals and you tell me if they were real cereals you could once purchase or if I made it up. First, Captain Crunch's Orange Cream Pop Crunch. Second, Captain's Rappin' Rainbow Crunch. Third, Captain Crunch's Deep Sea Crunch. Question seven. I'm not sure if an aardvark or any of the other characters from the animated movie series can help you with this one. Please spell the capital of the fourth largest island in the world, Madagascar. Question eight. The creators of what cream-filled cookie were looking for a name that would convey purity and goodness, ultimately naming their treat for the atoms that make up water? Question nine. Don't sleep on this multiple choice question. On which Japanese island is the capital, Tokyo, located? A. Hokkaido B. Honshu C. Shikoku or D. Kyushu And finally, question 10. Where were you when you found out that Betty Crocker never existed? I'll name four grocery store staples and you tell me if they were named after a real-life person or if they, too, were just a corporate invention. First, bird's eye frozen vegetables. Second, Lay's potato chips. Third, Keebler cookies. And fourth, Chef Boyardee canned ravioli. 
Give you about a minute to think, and we'll be back with your answers. Enough to buy it. It's grown in Japan or maybe China or maybe some farm in South Carolina. Just then I hear a voice in my head. Stay focused, man. Tuna and bread. But right now I'm in produce bliss. Oh, woo! I'm too high for this. Too high for the supermarket. Too high for the grocery store. Too high for the supermarket. Ain't gonna shop like this no more. Too high for the supermarket. All right, here we go. Here we here go. go. You're ready. Feeling good. Feeling good. Question one, sharing is caring. What's the name of the large Caribbean island which is divided between two sovereign nations, Spanish-speaking Dominican Republic and Creole-speaking Haiti? Is it, is it Dominica? No, it, that's a country. Okay. Is it, I don't know. What is it? Hispaniola. Hispaniola. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it was named by Christopher Columbus. Sure. The only other shared island in the Caribbean is St. Martin, which is shared between France, St. Martin, and the Netherlands, St. Martin. Question two. In Spain, he's called Don Limpio. In Italy, he's Mastro Lindo. And in France, he's Monsieur Propre. In the U.S., what do Americans call this mascot of an eponymous all-purpose cleaner owned by Procter & Gamble? That is Mr. Clean. It sure is. Also, one of my favorite bits of trivia, his first name is Veritably Mr. Veritably Clean. Mm -hmm. Hmm, That's interesting. Yep. Question three. Blimey, the Pitcairn Islands located in the Southern Pacific Ocean are the least populous national jurisdiction in the world. In fact, their inhabitants are descended from nine mutineers of what real-life Royal Navy vessel, which famously ousted its captain in 1789. Uh, So I'm naming the the boat? Name the the ship? Yep. Oh, jeez. The uh, RSS, uh, the Queen Mary. It's the HMS Bounty. HMS Bounty. Oh, Mutiny on the Bounty. Uh Damn it. Yeah. Okay. So this inspired several books and movies. It was led by acting Lieutenant Fletcher Christian. The ship's disaffected crewmen seized control of the ship from their captain, Lieutenant William Bly, and set him and 18 loyalists adrift in this ship's open launch. The mutineers variously settled on Tahiti or on Pitcairn Island. Bly, meanwhile, completed a voyage of more than 3,500 nautical miles or about 4,000 land miles because we have to be difficult um, in order to reach safety and began the process of bringing the mutineers to justice. But they basically all stayed on the island. They were like, "Mm, this is it. (laughs) So most of the population there is descended from nine mutineers. That's interesting. Yeah, it's a cool story. Question four, derived from the Latin word for world and a cutesy derivative of a term meaning tasty. What's the name of the American multinational confectionery, food, and beverage company that owns the global snack brands spun off from Kraft Foods? Uh, Can you give me a hint? What's the Latin word for world? I don't remember. Mundo? Okay. Okay. Mundo yum. Mundo yum. Mundo yum. (laughs) Uh, It's Mondelay. Oh, Mondelay. Yeah. Okay. All right. So their portfolio includes several billion dollar brands such as Belvita, Chips Ahoy, yeah. Nabisco, Ritz. Oh, McCrackers. Triscuit, Milka, Toblerone, Cadbury, Trident, 
dentine chiclets, halls and tang. <laughs> they don't sell tang anymore. Are you kidding me? They do. They only make tang for astronauts. <laughs> <laughs> Question five. Hopefully nothing is rotting there. Zealand, not the new one, just Zealand, is the largest and most populous island of what Scandinavian country? Uh, Denmark. Yes. So uh, Copenhagen, the capital of Denmark, is located partly on the eastern shore of Zealand and partly on the island of Amager, A-M-A-G-E-R. Okay. I'm major. Yeah. So <laughs> if you didn't get the clue, Shakespeare's Hamlet is set in Denmark. There's rotten, something rotten in the state of Denmark. Mm-hmm. Uh, question six. You and the captain make it happen. I'm going to name three varieties of Captain Crunch cereals. You tell me if they were real cereals you could once purchase or if I made it up. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. First, Captain Crunch's Orange Cream Pop Crunch. Real. Yes. Yes. It was available as a limited edition in 2016. That sounds disgusting. Uh, Captain's Rappin' Rainbow Crunch. Uh, real. That's fake. I made oh, it up. Oh, poop. All right. And... Cap'n Crunch's Deep Sea Crunch. I'm going to say true. Real. That is real. Okay. It was around in the 1990s and then it returned in 2009 for a limited time. What made it Deep Sea? Was it just um, they all were, blue? They were shaped like um, fish and like seahorses oh, and stuff. that's kind of cute. Yeah. Question seven. I'm not sure if an aardvark or any of the other characters from the animated movie series can help you with this one. Please spell the capital of the fourth largest island in the world, Madagascar. I don't think I even know the capital of Madagascar, so I could not even begin to spell it. Okay. The capital of Madagascar is Antananarivo. Oh, my God. I was definitely not going to get that. A-N-T-A-N-A-N-A-R-I-V-O. Antananarivo. Okay. Um, it is also known by its colonial shorthand form, Tana, uh, from the French Tananarive. Okay. Mm-hmm. Of course. So, yeah, of course. So <laughs> I would have accepted either Antananarivo oh, okay, or Tana. You. Great, great. Um, question eight. The creators of what cream-filled cookie were looking for a name that would convey purity and goodness, ultimately naming their treat for the atoms that make up water. That is Hydrox. It is Hydrox. Um, Hydrox debuted in 1908 and Oreo copied them in 1912. Oreo eventually exceeded it in popularity, which resulted in the Hydrox coming to be perceived as an imitator, even though it was the original. Oh, that's hmm. too bad. Um, Hydrox was largely discontinued in 1999, but in September 2015, the product was reintroduced by Leaf Brands. Compared to Oreos, Hydrox cookies have a less sweet filling and a crunchier cookie that gets less soggy in milk. Yeah, I'm not a fan. I remember getting like uh, you know, one of those half gallon cartons of cookies and cream ice cream oh yeah yeah i don't even remember what brand it was local brand in pennsylvania and i remember seeing the cookies that had like hydrox printed on them and i was like oh that's where hydrox went (laughs) (laughs) now they're They're all being used for, for ice cream yep question nine don't sleep on this multiple choice question on which japanese island is the capital tokyo located is it a hokkaido b honshu c shikoku or d kaiushu is it hokkaido no it is b honshu you know what i i thought about that classic honshu (laughs) i should have just i should have just went with the with the the hint in the question that's on me honshu is the largest and most populous island of japan located south of hokkaido across the sugaru strait north of shikoku across the inland sea and northeast of kaiushu across the kanmon straits honshu separates the sea of japan from the north pacific ocean and it is the second most populous island in the world after the indonesian island of java okay 
And finally, question 10. Where were you when you found out that Betty Crocker never existed? I'll name four grocery store staples and you tell me if they were named after a real life person or if they too were just a corporate invention. Okay. Ready? Yes. First, bird's eye frozen vegetables. That was a real person. Yes. Bird's eye. Real. Clarence Birdseye, that's yeah. his last name, mm-hmm. uh, revolutionized the food industry when he invented a new method for flash freezing food. Yep. Second, Lay's potato chips. Uh, real. Lay's, real. Herman Lay was a traveling potato chip salesman during the <laughs> 1930s, which sounds like a made up job. That does sound like a made up um, job. By 1939, he moved to Atlanta to set up shop on his own as the H.W. Lay Company. And in the decades that followed, Lay's became the country's most successful snack food company. Uh, third, Keebler Cookies. Uh, not a real thing. Keebler. Real. Oh, Godfrey Keebler opened up a tiny bakery in Philadelphia in 1853. In 1926, Keebler became a founding member of the United Biscuit Company of America, which consisted of a collection of bakeries that distributed their goods to out-of-area customers via automobile. By 1966, this collection of bakeries had grown so large that consolidation became the best option, and the company name was changed to the Keebler Company in honor of its founding father. Very interesting. And finally... Chef Boyardee canned ravioli. That is a real person. Chef Boyardee. Real. Yep. Chef Chef Boyardee. Yes. Yes. A Torre or Hector Boyardee is the real name of this master of canned pasta who began working professionally at the age of 11 and was leading the kitchen of the Plaza Hotel by the time he was 17. Oh my God. So his his last name Boyardee was spelled B-O-I-A-R-D-I. So the, the canned pasta has taken liberties with his name but chef yeah. boyardi was a real real guy yeah because americans couldn't pronounce it so they had to like <laughs> had to. phonetically spell yeah. it out <laughs> yep and i will stand by eating canned oh my canned god i loved it ravioli out of a can love it oh it has to be warm for me nope. but love maybe i'm pedantic love that so. <laughs> thanks thanks hector <laughs> So there, there she blows. There's That's my good. Quiz. Uh-huh. Great. Thank you very much. This is very good. Great. Well, <laughs> thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Uh, <laughs> if, um, uh, if you uh, want to get a hold of us, if you want to suggest more topics um, for future episodes, you know, we, we all need some help now and again to come up with things. <laughs> Sometimes it's a stretch. So you can get in touch with us by emailing us. We are missinfopod at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at missinfopod. Uh, we have a Facebook page, misinformation colon, a trivia podcast. Look for our pink logo. Uh, and we also have a website, www.missinfopod.com. Which you can listen to our episodes there, or yep. you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or whatever podcast app you prefer using our RSS feed. Also, uh, we've been getting some very kind donations from oh, people yes. lately with lovely notes attached to it. And uh, we just want to say thank you so much. We have, um, for those who are interested in possibly throwing us a couple of bucks for hosting fees and other overhead, uh, we have a PayPal button on our website and on our uh, Twitter page as well. But yes. thank you to everyone who has been yes. very generous. Thank you so much yes you guys are the best you're the best you're the best listeners anyone could ever have asked for so (laughs) on that note thank you (laughs) thanks for listening guys we'll catch you next time Bye. bye